Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. So, uh, tonight's passage is Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one, comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a, a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us one more time. Uh, God, we we thank you for the night. We thank you for uh, just a chance for your community to be shaped by your word. Uh, by your gospel, this book of Mark, uh, we pray that we it would fall on ears uh, that could hear. Um, so God, would you just shape us as your people in this city uh, to be like the communities um, that were being shaped by this originally, um, that we would be people who follow the way of Jesus, uh, that we would be people of love who honor one another uh, as every human being made in the image of God, um, we would be people who uh, see uh, renewal pierce into broken places and people that uh, pursue God unrestrained with freedom to see your face, God. Uh, so God, would you shape us? Uh, this is not in vain. We gather here just as a community to be uh, envisioned for what it means to be your people. And so God, I really pray that we are able to leave here embodying uh, the good news of Jesus. So um, if you would, just take a moment of silence and um, yeah, the best way you know how, if you, if you pray, which I hope you do, um, would you just ask God to speak to you uh, tonight, speak to you afresh? God, we love you, and we thank you for meeting us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. Uh, so we are launching into the Gospel of Mark. And I'm so excited because this is going to last us all throughout the whole summer, uh, probably even more. What I'm thinking, we'll, we may t- adjust this a little, but I'm thinking we will probably get up until the first half all throughout the summer, and we'll take a break and get into some other series, uh, and then we'll come back around of Lent of 2020 and then begin to catch back up into Jesus' journey to the cross and his death. So we're going to be like in and out of Mark uh, for a while, so just I'd encourage you just to start reading it, soaking in the Gospel of Mark, uh, read it uh, every day for like 10 minutes and just sit with it. Um, in the next couple of weeks, we'll start to introduce some 
some reading practices, like if you've never heard of like Lectio Divina, just some ways to meditate on scripture. Uh, but I'm really excited about this. And tonight, I really just kind of want to mostly introduce to you the book and give you Mark's introduction. It's a, it's a jam-packed gospel. It's the shortest gospel. Uh, Mark is not interested in a lot of Jesus' teachings. or he, he, He's interested is, is that you, you would have an encounter uh, with the power of Jesus. Uh, and and um, I want us just to kind of like all uh, transport a little bit back to 60 A.D., when this was originally written, so here we are, 60 A.D., uh, the setting is Jerusalem, uh, and you have to know that there's a war. Some radical Jews uh, have, have basically revolted against Rome, and Jerusalem is under siege. Uh, the tensions are very high. Uh, there's a lot going on. Um, people are divided. Some people, the people of God, are like, we need to push out the infidels of Rome out of our country. Others are like, well, no, we need to submit to Rome and let them take over us. Uh, the... Nero has just been assassinated uh, not too many years ago, and then there's been four emperors since then, all of them assassinated. Uh, there is, a, is like a strong like guerrilla Jerusalem revolt against the empire, and families are divided. Uh, we're in this, this village we belong to. There's families divided among ethnic lines between Jews and Gentiles because we live in this village that's divided. And um, the price of oil is skyrocketing like crazy, olive oil that is. Um, and, and, and things are just crazy. I mean, it's turmoil. And so that's the setting of Mark, uh, Mark's gospel, uh, written in 60 AD. So you have to remember when he's writing this book, it's not like right after Jesus died in AD 30. Uh, he's had 30 years to, he, he, he's, he's one who sat under the teachings of Paul, uh, and, and he begins to write this book addressing, um, kind of like one of those amazing movies where all these stories are colliding. And what he's doing is he's reflecting on what happened um, in a context of unbelief and in a context that's weary. And so if you are doubting today or if you are weary or in unbelief, you need to know that this book can handle all of your questions because this book was written, written into that kind of context, a context of filled with that. And Mark is trying to write back to say, hey, by the way, let me, um, he creates a genre. These are, this was not a genre before, the, a gospel, a gospel according to. Um, it's, a, it's almost this, this biography-esque thing, but it was meant that you would leave with an encounter with the living God. And so this is a whole new thing that he's doing. Um, so he opens up uh, with the title of the book. Uh, it's not the gospel according to Mark. The, the title is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like that's the title of the book. And so um, what Mark is doing is, uh, what I want to do is just kind of show you um, what he's doing is just giving uh, this, this ancient way of writing in which basically the first sentence was like the whole story. Uh, and the first sentence was the whole story, and then he's going to unpack it. He's telling you like wh- right up front what it was. So Greek plays, you would have a choir come out. You would have someone stand up and would say, this is a play about a man who kills another man at a crossroads. And he didn't know that this was his father. And a great tragedy came, and this man who, who killed his father then marries his mother, and tragedy goes on further, and, you know, it, it, like, what, what is that, right? Oedipus, right? So, so you, this is the way they would do it, and then they would just carry out the play. So they just tell you the plot line out front, and then carry it out, and that's what Mark is doing. Um, it, uh, let, me, let me just, like, if that didn't translate, let me translate one more way, and this still might not hit everybody, but um, movie posters uh, do this. Uh, it's the same tactic. Uh, so I thought uh, a great one would be uh, the very first movie poster of Star Wars. Any Star Wars fans? Does anybody not know what Star Wars is? Okay, it's okay if you don't. 
Thank you, Phil, for confessing that. We will intervene, pray for you. Um, so Star Wars this is the very first poster of the very first trilogy of Star Wars. Now, even if you were lost uh, and didn't know much, or some of you are like, I don't really care about that, you still can get a lot from this poster. Um, but if you know the movie, you're going to get a whole lot more of what's going on. And so this poster uh, is telling you a lot of things. Um, who's the, the, the main hero of the, the movie? Right, the guy in the white with the laser thing, right? Like he's Luke Skywalker, right? He's training by this young guy. These, and then you have the supporting characters around them, right? Obi-Wan is going to train him to trade that laser thing in for a lightsaber, train him how to do that. Um, you have the arc of the story, which is the Death Star in the background. That's going to tell you kind of the, the whole arc, that there's going to be a lot going on there. And who's the bad guy, even if you don't even know what this is? Yeah, the guy with the weird funny hat. That's, that's black, right? Even if you've never seen this, you're like, that's the bad guy. Um, and then you have the, like, the muse and the, you know, the funny characters down here in the bottom. You're like, why is there a weird gorilla guy? Um, so you're, you're learning a lot just by looking at this poster. And Mark is doing the same thing. He's like telling you a bunch of words that we're going to go over right at the very beginning that if you knew the Jewish scriptures, you would automatically just be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what is happening? This is happening. This is what, this is, even if you don't know it though, you're still going to be drawn in. Um, and so um, Mark says basically like, hey, the hero guy, uh, where's Jesus in the story? He's the, the good dude. <laughs> um, and he, you have Satan, who he is trying to overcome. Um, and uh, Mark is going to like basically draw in three settings. It's beautiful what he does, um, so we're going to probably reference this throughout the series, um, but he's going to be tying in three stories, kind of like an amazing um, movie, like where like Sixth Sense, where you're at the end, you're like, oh my gosh, Bruce Willis can see ghosts, you know, whatever. Um, and so, uh, oh wait, he can't see ghosts, right? It's the kid. The kid can see ghosts. So uh, he's going to be sto- the Garden story, the Garden of Eden, uh, Rome, and Israel. And so he's going to be tying in these three stories and making them all collide all at once. Uh, I'm not going to really do it justice today, but I think we'll, we'll carry this on. So, so Mark, back to the scripture, says this is the, the beginning. So remember, what, what's one of the stories? Where have we heard the word beginning before? Genesis, right? In the beginning. So Mark's like, oh, the beginning. Here's what would been like, the beginning, which is the Greek word arche, of the gospel, uh, gospel was, so we have, oh, beginning, good news. Uh, gospel is the word good news, euangelion. This, to us, is like religious insider language, right? Or you just think of Kirk Franklin, right? It's like one or the other. So back then, this is not religious uh, insider language. This was a public announcement of a war military victory. Uh, so basically what would happen is Rome would conquer, uh, a herald would come and say, Caesar Augustus has brought peace of Rome, and he is now, this is your la- our land, and he would herald this announcement of the Roman institution, and it would have been a euangelion. Now, never at once was this an ancient writing used of a person. And Mark takes that phrase and says, let me use that phrase and use it of a person named Jesus. And Jesus's euangelion, herald announcement of good news. It would have been like um, if we, if, if, John the Baptist showed up today and was like, uh, here's Jesus, and yes, he can. Or like, he will make America great again. I mean, that doesn't always work, but you know what I'm saying. Like, he would take a common phrase, and he would have twisted it and be like, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. So he's, again, connecting this to Rome's story. Good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Jesus Christ, uh, 
Jesus was his first name. Christ is not his last name. He was, his dad was not Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. All right, like I, most of you probably know that, but just wanted to kind of bring that out, that Christ was a term for a king, an anointed king, in which they would put oil over a king, anointed all over uh, to, to say this is the king of, 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 this is what they would do to kings. It's an Old Testament phrase to say he is the Messiah, the anointed king. Um, so this is, Mark's just letting the cat out of the bag right away. Um, and what's funny of what Mark is doing as we're going to get into this, you're going to see is for us as the readers, he's showing us the whole time he's king, that he is Lord, that he is God, the son of God. But to everyone else in the story, nobody knows except the demons. They're the only ones where they're like, son of God, don't harm us. Everybody else in the story we read will not know at all up until Jesus' death, and then Jesus will make it known. Um, so we're going to see that. You're going to see that, like, there's this, like, to, to the original readers, they'd be like, this is interesting, okay? <laughs> All right? But for us, it's, 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 we have to go back to 60 AD a little bit. Um, so, uh, so this is the good news, and th- Jesus Christ, the Messiah, this king, it's a story about him, this inbreaking kingdom of God. And so, uh, the next, you can go to the next slide. Uh, and, and then he goes, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, and he quotes this verse from Isaiah 40, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way of God. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So uh, there was Old Testament prophecy that this messenger was going to come, and he was going to prepare the way of the king. Uh, he was going to prepare the way of the Messiah, the anointed one. And what uh, Mark does is this amazing thing, like, he puts somebody in this messenger slot, and then he puts someone else in this God slot. And he says, John the Baptist is the messenger, and then the God slot is Jesus. Now, I know for us, modern ears are like, yeah, I've heard that before. But for them, this would have been revolutionary, that this Jesus man was in the God slot, that he was actually God. Remember, they know he's died. He's died of capital punishment. He was this revolt leader who led people on this uh, movement of love and peace and sacrifice, but then he died. And Mark is saying, hey, you know that story, that guy who died, Jesus, he was God. And so he's putting him in the God slot, that he's, he's, he, this is who he is. And so uh, that, that, that's kind of what I want to sh- do today. I want to talk about just remind us of like, Jesus is our ultimate driving energy. And I think in our day and age, if I, I think we have... Um, so many ideologies, uh, so many different philosophies, um, and we like to, we want to kind of mix, maybe we can just kind of put Jesus in the mix of all that, or we can like, Jesus can be inspiring to us, but the thing that's really driving you is something else. And what I want this, I hope this series does in your heart is just reminding us in our culture, in our day and age, in a story like theirs of Rome, with all the tensions and all the ideologies, and all the philosophies, and all the different, you know, ways to, like, be guided by life, that the driving energy in our life would be Jesus, and that he would be the thing that drives us, that he would not be just this inspiring thing on the side, in which just kind of, like, somehow helps really get us the thing we're after over here. And that's what he's showing is that this is, like, the God-man. This is God in the flesh, um, which is just so good news. What a radical claim that, this, that he is the one. Mark is saying Yahweh, the one of Israel, the judge of all the earth. He has come to the earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And this, do you know what kind of claim this is? 
This is the end of all ideologies. Or rather, today, on the flip side of us, we see all ideologies are just pulling from this story, just grabbing a little piece of it. So, I mean, you think about philosophy, like this, this constant, all philosophy is, is this constant battle between which one's better, the real or the ideal, right? The seen or the unseen, um, the post, postmodern or modern. And so Jesus is basically like, God's like, Jesus is the ideal that's become real. He's the ideal, and he, the ideal has become real. The impossible has become possible. And so he's this, this, the, he's this unapproachable thing, but now you can hug him. <laughs> and so, like, Jesus is this fulfillment um, that the impossible has become possible. So, for example, uh, it's just some of the different religions, Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, both of those uh, basically say that, like, the divine spark is in everything. It's in you, it's in us, it's in all of creation, it's in the chairs, it's in everything. Um, so basically, like, God's love is ever-present. Uh, but then, you know, that, that, that incarn- this incarnation um, is, is, is something a little different. So contrary to that, the flip side of that extreme is Judaism and Islam, which says God is so transcendent, so powerful, that he could never become material, that he could not be in everything like that. But we have, like, Christianity is the only belief system that says, actually, our God is so transcendent that he comes to love and that he's, he, he's somehow still transcendent. But yet, in the person of Jesus Christ, he's a person of love and presence. And he's come to make himself known. And so, um, it's this sense where that he can break through, he can be transcendent at the same time break through the concrete wall. I love the verse later when it says, Jesus saw the heavens torn open. Torn. It's this word schizo, that there's like Jesus saw this vision of the heavens like with a permanent tear. And he says, the kingdom has come because of me. The kingdom has come because of me. I'm this, I'm making the ideal real. And some of you are like, well, you know what? I don't believe it. Like there's just too many. That's really hard for me to believe that this is the best way, uh, that this is the only way. Um, I have too many barriers. You got to remember the early years of this had way more barriers than us. Like the Jewish hearers, when they heard this, I mean, you got to think, who in the world changes their worship from Saturday to Sunday after thousands of years? Like who does, like you guys are church people, you know that change like that just doesn't happen. Hey, let's just pick a different day. Let's just do Saturday instead of Sunday. No, like that just doesn't happen. The whole group of people said, we're going to worship on a whole different day. Um, They had so many more barriers, so much more tradition, so much more heritage and lineage and legacy of what it meant to be a, a, a Yahweh follower, to be a Jewish person, that they had too, so many more barriers for someone to be converted out of Judaism into the following the way of, of the Jesus God-man was so many more barriers than you and I will ever face. And so uh, this amazing thing happens, and, and Mark says that like basically th- this reality has to come into your life. Like, it can't just be this idea. It can't just be this ethereal thing. Like, this reality of Jesus has to come into your life. You have to embrace him. You have to uh, let him come in and for you to surrender and to trust him. Have, that's what this whole book is about, is to have an encounter with this man. And my hope is that you would have an encounter in this series with this man. And so um, what Jesus will do is, again, back to the thing, is that he'll change that driving force that driving energy that you have, that you're like, yeah, Jesus, you can be this thing on the side, and you're my side hustle. And Jesus, you're this thing right here, though, like me being known is the thing. Like my career is the thing, 
And Jesus, you're going to kind of like come up and make this career better. Or like making more money is the thing, and Jesus, you're going to help me do that. Or like getting in a relationship is the thing, and Jesus, you're going to like, yeah, like I'll find someone that's like, I can swipe the right direction because they have the same belief you do and that you're, you're helping me in this, right? Like so, so, so basically like what Jesus does is like that driving force of anything else has to change in which Jesus is the drive, that he is the driving energy and that's what he'll do. That's what he, that when he becomes flesh in us, and I think in every hum, human being, the thing that really drives us, as long as I've been pastoring, I think for all of us, the driving thing that really drives us is fear. Out of all those things, they're just attachments to a certain fear that's driving us deep down. And we all have this fear, fear of not being known, fear of not being found out, fear that you won't be seen, fear that you won't make it, fear that you won't be provided for, fear that you're not going to be loved, fear that you're going to be rejected, fear that you're going to be seen as not good. All these things that didn't drive us, and Jesus is like, those things cannot save you or, or, or give you the peace of God because you'll either succeed in it and you'll like look down upon everybody else who doesn't and be prideful, or you'll never meet your ideology and you'll constantly be uh, rejected rejecting yourself or so rigid with everybody else because you're striving to meet this ideology and the result is you are tox- spreading toxicity because all you want to do is be so rigid with everyone else to fit your ideology. And Jesus says that, does ne- that never works because the way of Jesus is love. The way of Jesus is presence. The way of Jesus is grace. It's embrace. And so what Jesus does is he becomes a driving force, and then not only that, when G- the, this idea of Jesus, this God-man, not only that, but it's the best resource for suffering. Think about when you're suffering, what do you need when you're suffering? And what do you don't like when you're suffering? I'll tell you some of the things that probably most of us don't like. Number one is the problem solver. Anybody ever experienced the problem solver? You're suffering. Let me tell you, uh, I've read a book. I got a book for you. You should read this. Oh, you should watch this. Oh, you should, have you seen this uh, website? Um, oh, let me, have you, you know what? I got, the, I got the right medicine for that. I got the right thing that will knock that out, right? Who likes the problem solver when you're suffering? Anybody? The other, th- the other person, like the minimizer, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, like, right? We live in the age of comparative suffering. That's like our age. Everybody constantly, we're just comparing who's suffering more. Which people group is suffering more? Which tribe is suffering more? Which, which, which uh, we all know it's the natives. Let's just be honest. They're suffering more in America than anybody else. But we're always just comparing ourselves with suffering. And, it, and, and so that minimizing, you, well, your suffering isn't that bad. At least it's not this. Or, it, or, or it's the, the over-encourager. You can overcome this. You got this. You are amazing. Sorry, Bam, you do this good in a good way. I'm not picking on you. But I'm saying... Not Bam, but other people, you know, like, you're doing it. But when, it's, when it, Bam does it in the most amazing way, because he's honest, but there's this over, sense of over-encouraging, oh my gosh, and you're just like, oh, how can I even live up to that? What do we need when we're suffering? We just need someone to be present with us. Someone to be present with us. That's gone through the same thing. One of my favorite, um, years ago, I, I, I had a binge moment of West Wing. Any, any West Wing fans? few of you good yeah it's a good show it covers everything mental illness uh you know every kind of everything that's happened in the country it, it kind of hits on at some point um but there's this point where josh ha- is a is a 
he's a deputy and he struggles with PTSD from being shot. Um, and he's seeing a therapist. Uh, he, he goes to his friend Leo and Leo tells him a story. He says there was a man who was in a pit. And in the pit, he said first, uh, there was a, a priest that walked by. No, sorry, sorry. First a doctor walked by and he goes, hey, will you help me, doctor? I'm down in this pit, help me. And the doctor wrote him a prescription and threw it down. And then later, he says, the priest walked by. He said, priest, father, will you help me? I'm down in this pit. I need help. Would you get me out of here? He writes down a prayer, gives it down to him. And then his friend walks by. He says, oh my gosh, it's you. Like, I've been in this pit for weeks. I can't get out. And he jumps down in the pit. And the guy says, you idiot. What are you thinking? Now we're both down here. Why would you jump down this? And his friend says, yeah, I know, but I've been here before, and I know the way out. And that's what Jesus does for us. That's, there's no other belief, no other ideology, no other framework, which is or actually not a framework, it's a real person. A real person that says, you know what? I've actually been through this, and actually much more, and I know the way out. And that's what Jesus offers to us. That's what Mark is presenting to us, is that you can have a relationship with this God who's been through so much more than you can ever dream or imagine and knows the way out. And that's what he's offering us. Not only is this God-man Jesus offer us a sense of, of, of resource for suffering, become the driving force, but he also is not just change for the inside, it's the greatest change for the outside. It's the only thing that will bring end oppression and will end violence in our world. It's the only thing that, that says that Jesus becomes flesh, he becomes our body. And when Jesus raised from the dead, he became a resurrected body. He, didn't just be, he wasn't just redeeming the spiritual side. He was like redeeming physical. Um, so he, he, he becomes this resurrected body. Now our bodies matter. Disease matters. Injustice matters. Oppression matters. All of those things are so related to the gospel of Jesus because of him becoming flesh, whereas other belief systems says, oh, well, the material is just is evil. We need to escape that. And so here is this God-man. Now, how do we meet this God-man, Jesus? Um, Mark tells us that we meet him in the wilderness. We meet him in the wilderness. Uh, so he says that John appeared. So now this guy named John, John the baptizer, appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan. Um, River Jordan, remember that? What Any history? Old Testament nerds, right? That was where Moses with God. All right, so uh, part of the seas, confessing their sins, and next slide. Now John wore clothes, uh, let's get a little bit of his fashion sense, so, all right? He was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. Um, and then he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John is like this, like, hipster Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, clothed with camel's hair, eating honey. I can't unstrap his sandal. Oh, bother. Right? I don't know. just came to me when I was studying this. It kind of felt like Winnie the Pooh, right? Um, so he, he, what's going on there? Because you read this, and you're like, what is happening? Um, what's happening is, is he is dressed like Elijah. He's dressed like Elijah in the Old Testament. And he is uh, this Elijah figure. Um, who, is, who is going to be the messenger of God and be the anointed one who will send, uh, announce one greater that we must go to. And so um, you have, we have to meet this God. John says, we, 
he goes out to this wilderness. Um, now, remember, he could have stood up. He was raised by parents that were in the synagogue. It would make most sense to like, use the synagogue as this public platform to announce this God coming, but he doesn't do that. He goes into the wilderness in a place of, of loneliness, a place of dryness, a place of isolation. He goes out to the margins, and that's where God often is, is in the margins, not in the center. And he does that, and he, he, the, this wilderness is symbolic. It's, um, when we think of wilderness, we may think forest. Think more Middle East desert. This is like no food, no, all thorns, no life. Nothing's growing in the wilderness. Nothing's being uh, given life in the wilderness. It's this place of thirst. All the wells are dry. It's, there's no bread. You can't grow wheat. It's thorns, thirst, and loneliness. Like, life can't be supported. And interestingly enough, all throughout the Old Testament, that's where all of God's people meet uh, God. Like the whole people of Israel became the people of God in the wilderness. So that's where they became the people of God, 40 uh, 40 days in the wilderness, right? And so John's going to go out there. He's going to baptize people, um, which was, you, you think that may be normal. That wasn't normal. Now, it was normal to like be cleansed as a Jewish person, that was a, basically an outsider thing. That if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you would get baptized. You're like, the Jews would be like, yeah, you just need to do some kind of self-cleansing ritual that they would do, which is interesting because it was always themselves doing the cleansing. Uh, but then if a Gentile became converted, they're like, you're too dirty, you're a Gentile, you got to get dunked. You need to get just completely washed because you need to become like us, these clean Jewish people. And John does something different. It was the first time that actually someone else besides yourself would baptize you. He's like, you need someone from the outside to make you clean. You can't make yourself clean. I don't know if you, like, I, I, the, my favorite picture of this is my, all of my kids. They've always had this moment eating spaghetti all over them, right? They're just like getting spaghetti sauce all over them trying to make themselves clean, right? You've all probably seen that happen. Like, that's what we look like to God trying to cleanse ourselves up, clean ourselves up. And he's like, you can't make yourself clean. You need someone else to make you clean. And this person that's going to make you clean, I'm unworthy to untie his sandal. Um, his name is Jesus, and he's the Son of God, and he's the Christ. And so um, the reason why we have to meet God in the wilderness is that's the place where all of those drivers will have, you have to realize that they are going to run dry. All of those things, all of those wells that you are putting everything into is going to run dry and it will become a wilderness and all of us have to experience that. We all have to experience the fact that that is a wilderness, that there is nothing in those wells, that they all run dry, that the bread will grow moldy, that, the, that, that in the people of Israel, the, the, the thing that's giving you light is going to go dim. You need the pillar of the fire of God to light you. The, the cloud, the shelter that you're hiding under is going to decay. You need the cloud of God to cover the sun from burning you. The, the, the bread that you're feasting on is going to be moldy. You need the manna from heaven to feed you. He's saying this is, this is what we have to experience. There's this wilderness moment. It is a, inevitable that we all go through the wilderness. It is an, a spiritual inevitability. So if you are in the wilderness right now, I just want to encourage you. It may be the moment that God is going to transform you. Um, if you're in this moment, like you're like, oh, so dry. I'm so spiritually dry. I'm so, um, feel like I'm at the end of my rope. It's good news. It's good news because this is the place where God can take charge and lead you. 
God can lead you. And we're going to get into that. I, I, I can never sense like the objection. That sounds like bad news. God's in control. I'm gonna, we're going to get into that. Because that, yeah, we're going to hit that in a minute. <laughs> um, but John the Baptist is baptizing people. And he, he says that this is, uh, the, the, your well has drawn, gone dry. And there's this, yeah, let me just get into that comment in a moment. Because I just want to hit that for a minute. Some of you, that sounds like horrible news that God will be the driving force of your life. Because, like, he's painting Jesus as a king. Remember that. And we in America don't really do king language. Like, we kind of gave that up, like, back before 1700s. We didn't, we were done with that, right? Um, We don't like kingdom language. It sounds oppressive to have a king. And and it would be oppressive. Now, back then, it says that this messenger was going to make the road for the king to pave the way. Back then, that was a normal practice in which a king was coming. They would have, had the, they would have made a road for the king. Um, this word, the way, is the word road in all throughout the gospel. Uh, it's the word road um, in the Greek. And they would, have, they would have made this practice that, like, if you had to get to one place around the mountain, normally you just go around the mountain. But then if the king was coming, you would have to, like, gush out the rocks to make it a straight path for the king so it wasn't this long journey around the mountain because it's the king coming so we got to make this a clear, straight path for the king. And how are they going to make that straight, clear path from all those rocks? Zillions of slaves. So the king was coming, resulted in what? Oppression. So the idea of a king coming is, a, is like, this is just going to be oppression. And then when I hear that God is the driving force of your life, you hear, why would I want some God to tell me the best way to live? Well, the good news is, like, with Jesus... He's paving this road, the, the road all throughout the Mark, Gospel of Mark, is the road to the cross. Like, he says, this is a king who's going to die and suffer. He's not going to oppress you. He's not going to make you a slave. He's going to actually die and give up his life for you. That's my king. That's, John's like, that's this kind of king. He's a king that is good news. He's a king that will not oppress you, that will not be harmful to you. And he's a good king. And so he announces this king of Jesus that's going to have this road to the cross to suffer for you um, so that he can be with you and you will always know what it's like to be with him. And so the king would suffer and he does not come to go on a throne, our king, but he came to die on a cross. And um, instead of oppressing us, he does this. And he does this, and he goes through this like ultimate wilderness of dying on the cross, being completely in a, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that when you're going through your wilderness, he said he can come in his resurrection and be present with us through the Spirit and be like, I know exactly what you're going through, and I know the way out. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you that, there, that as we close and pray that um, we know that your word always requ- it just calls us to respond. Um, I know you guys know so much of this story. That's like, <laughs> honestly, like the greatest challenge for me as a communicator is you've heard this story so many times that... Um, it just doesn't even sound like good news anymore to you. And, and I wonder, like, 
if a lot of our disappointment is not so much our familiarity with the story, but really like the fact that Jesus is kind of this side thing for the true driving force, uh, our, our true energy that's driving us, the true fear that's driving us. And um, I just want to invite you to truly respond to this real Jesus, to respond to him. And then every response is uh, a response of like, um, every, everybody who's met the real Jesus has kind of like an extreme response. If you think about it, like I think some, I think probably the, the atheists in our world maybe have met the real Jesus and just truly, just extremely rejected him, or people have been like, or truly fanatics worshiping him, right? But this place of indifference is not really a response to meeting the real Jesus. And so I just encourage you, like if you identify in a place of indifference, like. I'm not, that's a not, that's not a um, thing for you to look at with judgment. It's not a thing for you to feel guilty about, but it is something that you should observe. And it is something that you need to be aware of so that you can continue responding to this living God who breathes and moves in our world. And some of you are like, well, I'm just too afraid to like fully go all in with Jesus because I'll be an extremist. And I'm like, no, you won't be known as an extremist. You'll, be, you'll have extreme love. <laughs> you'll have extreme generosity. You'll have extreme gratitude. But you won't be known as an extremist. You'll just be known as someone who everyone wants to be around because you have life, life abundantly. And so um, 